You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossat, managing editor of Fightful.com, here for Fightful.com's UFC 219 post show. Uh, I want to thank you guys for checking out our UFC 219 preview show. A little different, a little unconventional, as Showdown Joe was, or still is, in Japan. As, as we speak right now, he is calling Ryzen with former Fightful podcaster Frank Trigg, friend of the site. Uh, he has had exclusives up with Mirko Krokop talking about his potential retirement, as well as his uh, Ryzen blog on Fightful.com. Make sure you guys go and check that out. Uh, lots of cool stuff over there. But uh, if you watched that preview show, you saw a ton of interviews integrated from the guy that's joining me right now, James Lynch. James, what's up, my man? How's it going, Sean? Thanks for having me on. Happy to uh, fill in for Joe while he's uh, kicking ass in Japan with uh, Ryzen. Yeah, man, that's that's a tough schedule for him. He, I, I looked, we found out the the flight information and all that stuff, and of course he was going to be out for this big show. And of course it made sense to have you here. And you've had a bunch of big interviews on Fightful dot com just over the past week or so. I mean, just Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Steve Miocic, Colby Covington, bringing the goods to Fightful dot com. Wouldn't have it any other way. Got to, got to bring the goods. Uh, we got to close out this year strong, Sean. We can't just, uh, you know, people like to make their news, New Year's resolutions in uh, 2018. Uh, you got to finish strong with 2017. You damn right, you do. And we're in a situation right now. This is a little bit different. No Saturday night UFC for like four weeks. Yeah. And so UFC 220. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, usually they usually they got a, a I was going to say you have that uh, that UFC Fight Night 124 card on the 13th. So I think we only missed one weekend, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, no, this there's uh the 7th, the 14th. Okay, yeah. So only one weekend out, but yeah, no uh okay, it's 3 weeks, not 4 weeks. Gosh, my my head's a little off. For some reason I thought that New Year's was next weekend. That sh that shows you uh, the grind, the schedule. But anyway, we got UFC 219 to talk about. What stood out to you the most on this card? This isn't one that they're going to be using in a lot of highlight reels. I think there's only one thing that really stood out to me, and that was the performance by Khabib Nurmagomedov. Uh, there was a lot of questions heading into this fight with his weight cut, you know, him missing weight against Tony Ferguson and that fight getting scratched. I mean, he had a lot of uh, pressure going into this, uh, even before 
you know, he stepped into the cage. Was he going to make this weight? And of course he did. And then even then when he was fighting Barbosa, I, I saw a lot of people split on this, you know, people saying that he couldn't, you know, stand and trade with Barbosa. And that was a mauling. I, I've not seen a dominant performance like that in a very long time from one fighter, especially a fighter in Khabib who's only fought, you know, I think three or four times since 2014. It's been a very long time uh, since we've seen him in the cage as well, uh, even since his last fight. And uh, he went out there and he mauled Barbosa. I've never seen Barbosa dominated that badly. And we're talking about one of the best strikers in the 155-pound division. And uh, it was just an incredible performance. And I think that really stole the show tonight. You know, Chris Cyborg defending her title was, was absolutely great. But I think when we look back on this card, it's going to be the performance uh, by Khabib Nurmagomedov. So let, let's get into the show from the top. We'll move on down. Chris Cyborg successfully defends her UFC featherweight championship over Holly Holm, former UFC bantamweight champion. Early on, there there was some hope for Holly Holm. I really didn't expect to see her muscle around Chris Cyborg in the clinch, but she did with regularity. But as the fight went on, Chris Cyborg figured out Holm's striking patterns, James. Yeah, she sure did. And uh, it also seemed uh, to throw Holly off a little bit. If you heard on the commentary, you know, Dominic Cruz was talking about how Holly had, you know, successfully in those early rounds was able to get those underhooks in and sort of neutralize uh, Cyborg and in her stand-up and sort of control her a little bit. And you notice that sort of went out the window in the later rounds because uh, what was happening, at least from what I was seeing, was Cyborg was just landing shots and and really sort of hurting Holly uh, as, as the fight was going on. You know, her shots were a lot harder. And you saw Holly, uh, you know, still being as active as she could, but just those counters were really hurting her in the fight. And you saw it at the end of the fight with Holly's face, you know, completely battered. Um, Cyborg did a great job, and, and obviously the game plan worked. And, you know, forget any arguments that people had about her cardio. Cyborg, you know, looked pretty oh, good yeah. for all five rounds. Yeah, that was a big question heading into this. And the funny thing is, I thought that Habib Nurmagomedov had the most questions to answer on this show. And really, <laughs> it didn't answer that many. It just reinforced what we already knew. Chris Cyborg, there was a big one as it pertains to her cardio because she had never been that far. Right. Meanwhile, Holly Holm, like three or four different times in her MMA career alone, she had been to the fifth round. She had been the distance or at least in that fifth round, not to mention all the times in her boxing career she went like into late rounds. So, man, that's something that you can't count on Chris Cyborg. To, you can't count on her to burn out towards the end of the fight. That's just not something. And Marlos Kunin is the only person we saw take her this far. Now, in, in my estimation, without a doubt, this is the highest caliber opponent Chris Cyborg has ever faced. And before that, it was Marlos Kunin. After that, it's a real steep drop. So there were a, a lot of questions about Chris Cyborg in that regard, too. Like, would she live up to the hype? Because, you know, forever there there was talk of the Rousey fight, and the UFC almost had it happen in 2013. Cyborg, you know, didn't didn't like the financial deals, didn't like the weight, whatever it was, and uh, moved on to Invicta. But she sought, sought out that big fight, and maybe, maybe the UFC missed out on some of her pay-per-view drawing power at that point. But I saw that you retweeted something like, there, there's nothing to indicate that Cyborg is a giant draw right now. There's not. But she is a perfectly serviceable main eventer in the UFC, and beating a person like Holly Holm doesn't hurt. 
it certainly does. And then it'll just sort of add to that. But again, I don't think she has sort of that household name that people would like to have. And I, I think uh, sometimes, you know, we, we as fans, you know, we don't live outside the bubble and you have to look at, you know, what are draws. And it's usually the people who get sort of outside that, that hardcore MMA bubble. And, you know, a lot of people don't know Cyborg. Uh, you know, th- this will certainly help. I mean, this was, this was a big fight tonight. I was, you know, genuinely very excited for this one. And I think, again, this is probably the closest fight we're going to see with Holly Holm or sorry, with uh, Chris Cyborg, uh, you know, potentially for a long time. I mean, nothing against, uh, you know, Megan Anderson or whoever else might uh, end up fighting her next, but I think this is as close as it might get. I mean, I'd love to be proven wrong, but I just, at this point, I don't see that happening, but no, this certainly helped uh, Cyborg's name, but again, I don't know uh, what type of contenders they're going to throw at uh, Chris Cyborg going forward. Cause just, if you look even outside of, uh, you know, sort of uh, Megan Anderson, uh, th- as far as, you know, uh, featherweight prospects there just isn't a lot on, on the shelf and i don't really know what, what they're going to do uh from that perspective there's really none and then that's sad but home didn't switch it up a lot for all of the the touting the jackson winkle john game planning which hasn't necessarily been something that's been touted exceedingly over the last few years early on hers was good but she never adapted she never changed but chris cyborg did adapt and did change figured out that holly Holm was circling to the power handed off a lot and man, every time that that Holly or that yeah that Holly Holm would take her two steps, pop in, throw her straight, she would get countered, and she'd get countered hard. And that happened. It seemed like dozens of times because it, like Cyborg, it seemed like was almost on autopilot. Just okay, I'm waiting for this. Bam, here's the right. Yeah, and she seemed a lot, uh, you know, and they talked about this on the broadcast, she was a lot more stationary as the fight went on, but it was working for her. I mean, Holly was literally running into shots at certain points. It, you know, Cyborg wasn't doing a, a ton of movement, but she was landing, and, and that was slowing home down as, as the fight sort of progressed, and uh, you could see it with the damage on her face. I mean, she got hit a number of times. Now, you know, one interesting thing about this, too, that, you know, kind of is probably going to get overlooked is, you know, Cyborg got hit a lot as well, too, but she the did. fact that she's such a gamer and, uh, you know, Holm just doesn't have the type of power that, that Cyborg does, she was able to sort of uh you know weather that and uh and it didn't really didn't even really seem to face her i mean there were some shots at home landed that i think could have dropped a lot of other fighters but uh you know cyborg to her credit just very durable the holly home situation is much like the leoto machida situation to me she's got this masterful footwork that works so well against other people the head movement isn't necessarily there which is weird for a boxer but she had other tools to rely on she leaves her head just pretty much stationary but when she gets aggressive, much like a Machida, she finds a lot of success. It's just a matter of getting her to switch into that gear and getting her out of her comfort zone. Because I've said this a million times on the show, James. For years, if you go back and watch her legacy fights, you could tell she was pretending whoever she was in the cage with was Ronda Rousey. Her fights, all of those fights leading up to Ronda Rousey, were practice for Ronda Rousey. If she got in the clinch with an absolute scrub, she would get out of the clinch because that's what she would have done with Ronda Rousey. And right after that, we saw her run into a Misha Tate, and she had some problems. Misha Tate, who doesn't necessarily have the highest skill set, and Holly Holm met a lot of success there. We saw the glimmers of success against Cyborg. We saw them in, in a lot of other – a lot of people thought that she beat Jermaine Durandamy as well. It's just – man, it's, it's, it's a tough division for one. It's a celebrity division is what it is. That, that's, that's really what it is. But where do you see Holly Holm going from here? Does she go back to 130? I mean, she has to go back to 135, right? There's nothing at 145. 
Yeah, I, I don't really know what uh, what what options there are at 45 at this point, and I mean, it just doesn't seem like the UFC is too interested in any other fights for uh, featherweight that are outside the title picture. So Holly will go down to you know 35. I guess there's a few interesting matchups for her down there. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this tonight. You know, Nunez and and her still haven't fought yet, which is kind of interesting, just the way sort of the the titles have changed hands and everything. But uh, yeah, they'll, they'll find someone for her down there, and, and you know, maybe she'll get another highlight reel win. I mean, we forget that. You know, Holly lost a couple of fights. Granted, you mentioned the Duran Duran. I mean, one was a, a close one. I thought she won as well, but you know, she had lost two in a row, and then she fought Betchkohea. And really, if you think of Betchkohea, not a great fighter, but she got no. that highlight reel win, and all of a sudden, that was you know enough to propel her into this fight. So I think it's a similar case here where Holly could go back down to thirty-five, fight whoever, you know, get in another impressive highlight reel win, and then she could be back in the driver's seat because she does have that win over Ronda Rousey, and that will forever. Uh, boost her ahead of a lot of other fighters uh, and, and just because of the name value and, and everything else and, you know, being from Jackson's. But uh, you wonder, though, I was looking on the broadcast at her age. I mean, she's getting up there, you know, realistically, how oh, yeah. much longer is she going to fight? And uh, that that's something to behold. But, uh, yeah, I think her next fight will be at 35, but probably against someone not really too notable, in my opinion. And that's something we don't really know yet about women MMA fighters at this high level is at what age does the decline start uh, showdown yeah. joe had a great great uh feature up on fightful.com recently uh thanks to casey walton for doing the the legwork on the numbers but you see the average age of ranked ufc fighters and when you go from flyweight to heavyweight it gets older as you go up with one with one distortion and that's middleweight middleweight is the only like like step aside from that as far as women, it's it. You can't really put anything into that women's straw weight ranking right now because, come on, the, those are all kinds of weird. And really, the UFC rankings are kind of tough anyway. I'd like to see those done with like maybe a FightMatrix.com or something like that, a little more metric. But that that is something to wonder. Holly Holm, no spring chicken, but you know, neither is Marion Renault, and she does okay. Also, you mentioned Holly Holm going back to one thirty five. She has a win over Raquel Pennington. It looks better and better. Uh, you spoke to Raquel Pennington earlier this month. What was her timetable looking like? Because I know that she was a little further ahead of schedule than many thought because the injury didn't end up being as bad as, as once feared. Uh, I believe she said May was when she was planning on returning. And, of course, she had a, it was a hunting accident or something along those lines. So she's, uh, you know, she's, I know she was in the process of uh, healing up. Like she wasn't on crutches or anything when I saw her um, at UFC 218 because she was there uh, cornering uh, Tisha Torres. Uh, so, you know, she's definitely up there. Um, I think really the question is what is going to happen with um, Amanda Nunes because if Amanda Nunes fights Chris Cyborg, that ties up the title. And then maybe you could have a Raquel Holly rematch, something along those lines, or – if Nunez is going to stay, then I think Raquel has done more than enough to deserve herself a title shot. So I think that's really good. Well, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But I think at this point, if, you know, pending any issues, I think Megan Anderson should be next for Cyborg. You might as well just get that one out of the way and, and get it done, especially with the fact that I think it's 221 in, in Perth that needs a co-main event. I think that would be a perfect fight. If I'm the UFC, I probably do home versus Caitlin Vieira because you got to give Holly Holmes won one of her last like four or five fights. And that that's tough, but if Amanda Nunes wanted to fight Cyborg, that's probably the best option they have. It's a better option than than Megan Anderson from a from a financial standpoint, and they've proven that that's that's a concern. Shevchenko might be moving to one twenty five, so you can't. Re- and I don't know that a lot of people are clamoring for a Nunez Shevchenko rematch, but if Pennington gets back in there as soon as she'd like, that is a little tough to do to do the Nunez Cyborg fight. But I mean, that it's, if it makes money, that's that's what they're concerned about. So, the, yeah, a lot of things to look out for as, as it pertains to the women's landscape. 
It's, it certainly is. And I should mention Shevchenko does have a fight booked uh, at flyweight. So I think she is going to, she's going to be staying in that division. I think, you know, with the, the rematch not going her way against Nunes, I think she's sort of out of the equation at this point. But, uh, but you're right. There's, there's a lot of other fights, I'm sure, for Holly Holm, uh, you know, that could be out there at this point. But I'm with you. I think they'll probably do maybe a prospect against, you know, Holm. Because at this point, I mean, Holm's been used in every possible title scenario other than fighting Amanda Nunes. So at this point, it is sort of the, the point of where you got to, you know, get a prospect in there with her and see, you know, kind of one of those right of passages fights oh she's been their utility woman a lot of people don't realize yeah. that like like she's been used on the undercards of shows she's been used in a main event against ronda rousey she's been used on fox she's been used on uh big uh big shows like ufc 196 was such a, a fun show to watch uh and, and a big show for them she's been used in the inaugural title fight of a new division she's been used over in the main event of a singapore show and she's been used to bring in to fight Chris Cyborg. She's really fit into any role that they've asked her to. And now she's in a situation where she is 500 in the UFC. She's four and four. Yeah. It's weird to think, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, she's, she's never been just blown out of the water is the thing. Like she hangs in there. Well, especially that Misha Tate fight. I was there live at uh, cage side. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just crazy how the sport is. You know, Holly Holm holds on for another round and she, you know, she wins the title and then she's probably fighting Nunez after. I mean, things could have been completely different for her. And, you know, she's just had this weird sort of career where, you know, she loses to Tate and then she fights Shevchenko, loses that fight that when people thought she was probably going to win. And then she fights Durandamine where they're like, okay, we'll definitely get her as the champion at 45. Arguably wins that fight, loses a controversial decision. I mean, she's had, I don't know anyone who's had such a weird career like she's had, uh, you know, having the big win over Rousey and then having all these weird losses in between. It's very bizarre. It really is. So going into the show, like, you know, I picked Holly Holm in an upset because there were too many questions about Chris Cyborg in my, my estimation. Similar to Habib Nurmagomedov, I thought that if Michael Johnson was able to connect with Habib, that Edson Barboza would be able to. But as I think everybody knew, if that clinch range was accomplished, that's it. And that clinch range was accomplished. Habib Nurmagomedov didn't necessarily answer a lot of the questions about his ability to take a punch. And there were some weird things like... (laughs) Most fighters don't have the luxury of crossing their feet walking forward against somebody because if you get struck, you're off balance, and it, and you, it's, it sets up an easy takedown. Habib Nurmagomedov is not worried about being taken down. And what we watched, like not only will Edson Barboza need to go through therapy, I think I need to go through therapy after seeing that. That's like that's a little disturbing. That was a 30-24 scorecard there, and it was justifiable. It was a mauling. It really was. I, I you know, I, I picked Khabib to win this fight. I just felt like uh, he'd be able to get on the inside and sort of control him like he's done with all of his other opponents. And Obarbosa, you know, has sort of a good height and reach for that division where, you know, maybe he could have stayed on the outside, picked his shots. But against Khabib, it's just, it's really tough to do that. And I did not expect him to dominate Barbosa the way he did, though. I, I figured, it, you know, he'd probably just take him down, eat a few shots, this and that. But he absolutely mauled him. That was a fight where I think Barbosa's corner should have thrown it in maybe after the second uh i you know he took a lot of damage there's no sense i like i don't think i don't know just from my perspective i didn't think there was any way that barbosa was going to land sort of a hail mary knockout punch at any point khabib was doing a great job of sort of cutting inside the distance but like i said what's even more impressive is you know khabib you know fought i think what four times since 2014 Barbosa's fought nine times since then. So if you think about yeah. that, like, you know, the amount of act- activity that he's had, you know, being in there, it just shows that, you know, certain fighters can, you know, they're still putting the time in the gym and it doesn't really matter if they're out of there. But yeah, that, that was a dominant mauling performance. And 
I, I think, you know, if there was like a 2% chance that Conor McGregor was going to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov, that has now gone down to 0%. I, I don't see any way that Conor fights Khabib after a performance like that tonight. The irony is I think that Conor McGregor stands probably the best chance of anybody at beating him because he does have that ungodly knockout power. And even then, it's like, damn, man. After the way we saw Nate Diaz handle Conor McGregor on the ground, like just that we've seen that weakness in Conor McGregor makes me see makes me think that's just too much of a weakness. Now the real issue is Habib making weight, and yeah. he did, and he's got Tyler Minton, and you of course had an exclusive with Tyler. Why why the hell wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. And two weeks after I hear everybody on podcasts and radio shows oh did you hear did you hear he's got a new nutritionist and i'm like yeah, we were like two weeks ahead on that you know yeah so I'm like, like come on james had that weeks ago when i see tony ferguson uh, up ahead i'm like no you don't stand a chance and i i'm a tony ferguson believer the man is is a joy to watch but man a guy that had a competitive fight with lando venata and no disrespect to lando venata but got taken down by kevin lee Staff infection, Kevin Lee. Not even like good Kevin Lee. Like we're knocking on death's door. Like if he flies home, he might not be okay, Kevin Lee. Like because if that if Habib Nurmagomedov is on top of Tony Ferguson in that situation, Tony Ferguson's not getting up. Possible. I, I actually think that fight's going to be a little bit closer. And the reason I think that is just, I think styles make fights. And I think Ferguson is a very unorthodox guy. I think he's definitely mo- the most unorthodox fighter that Khabib would be fighting. And you look at the fact that uh, Ferguson had a bit of a layoff heading into the Lee fight. I mean, we forget that he fought Dos Anjos in November of 2016. He fought Lee uh, almost, you know, close to a year later in October of 2017 this year. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, but, uh, but, you know, again, uh, the, the way Khabib was able to just get in there, take him down and, and, you know, go at will. It, it's interesting to see what happens. The thing with Ferguson is, you know, Lee arguably won that first round, uh, against Ferguson, but, uh, you know, he was able to come back and, you know, Lee sort of ran out of gas. But the question is, you know, it, it, let's say Khabib took Ferguson down in the first round. Could he adjust and, you know, sort of uh, change his game plan a little bit? It'll be, it'll be interesting. But I mean, if I had to pick right now, of course I'm going Khabib, but I think Ferguson definitely is a different style matchup for Khabib. So that could pose things a little bit differently so i'm excited for that fight to be honest it's gonna be great the thing that worries me for tony ferguson is how he likes to roll out of situations like onto his back and that's 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 not a good idea against a habib memory made off which i'm sure he would adjust i love that habib grabs the wrist of the opponent that he that they're using to balance and then he he controls their balance after that and throws those strikes it's just masterful wrestling it's great stuff. And that UFC lightweight division is just a ball. It is a it ball. Is. But I really do. And I'm not saying that I would favor Conor McGregor, but I do think that Conor McGregor stands the best chance at beating Habib Nurmagomedov. And that that's not a good that's not a good chance. Now, Habib saying that he wants to go to 145, I assume that he also wants to try stand-up comedy as well because that seemed to be the way he was going. But there you go. Carla Esparza defeated – oh, also worth noting, Habib has been in the title picture since 2014, has never had a five-round fight. Even, like – Yeah, it's crazy. Never fought a five-round fight. Like, not just – he's had them scheduled, but he's never made it to them. Number nine, Carla Esparza defeated number six, Cynthia Cavillo, who you interviewed recently. And Esparza is a former strawweight champion – or former, uh, yeah, strawweight champion who has a win over Rose Namajunas. And for a little while, it looked like, like I, I didn't know if Esparza was going to fight again. Like I thought maybe that Yoana fight just 
made her be like, all right, I'm out. This was Carla Esparza adapting and overcoming because she got put on her back pretty early. Yeah, she did. And, and, you know, Calvillo uh, came out, you know, quite, quite strong, but I just think, uh, she wasn't able to sort of, uh, you know, uh, it seemed like when, when it was on the feet that, uh, our Sparza definitely had the advantage there. The one thing I really noted was the leg kicks. Uh, you know, Calvillo just wasn't checking those. And so, you know, the striking sort of favored, uh, Esparza as the fight went on. And I think too, uh, you know, if you notice that uh, Calvillo tried to take Esparza down in that third, she wasn't able to do it. So, you know, maybe getting a little depleted there, but, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it, you know, uh, Esparza quietly has amassed this three and one record really should be four and oh and as a canadian i can admit this i thought she lost or i thought she beat uh Rana marcos in uh earlier this year in february on that uh, halifax card so really if you think about it since she's lost to joanna she she pretty much should be undefeated at this point and uh you know does you know with the fact she holds the win over rose will that mean she fights her next i don't know i think the ufc is still going to do joanna and and rose the rematch uh, as far as what's next there but this definitely helps because calvio had a lot of momentum the ufc was clearly high on her i mean she fought you know, four times this year, which is pretty crazy to think, uh, you know, that she's had that many fights uh, in the UFC. And uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting. But, you know, Calvillo, uh, you know, pretty busy year for her. She actually fought five times. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This year, people forget she fought Montana De La Rosa in LFA in January, and then she got signed to the UFC and then fought the four times. So no shame in, in having a record like that this year, a four-in-one record. So, you know, lots lots to expect from her in 2018. But Esparza, she's now a contender in that division again, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with her next. Yeah, because she has it. I mean, she's beaten Rose before, and Rose has improved just drastically since then. But still, she does have that victory. Cavillo was not happy with the decision. What did you think? Did you think it was the right I, call? I, I, yeah, I absolutely do. I, I gave the first round to Calvillo and I gave the last two to Esparza. You know, again, what you have to look at in this fight was just the activity. I, I feel like Esparza did a lot more on the feet and uh, Calvillo just wasn't, you know, checking those kicks. She wasn't sort of uh, able to implement her game plan in those later rounds and it, it really showed. And uh, I, I don't think there was any debate from a lot of people. I understand her frustration because, you know, she was bringing the fight. But uh, again, if you look at the strikes, you know, bit by bit, uh, Esparza was landing more. And I think that, that really sort of counts for something. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what can I say? Uh, you know, I think Calvillo maybe underestimated Esparza a little bit in this fight. One thing I noted was or noticed was John Anik in the UFC announced him kind of downplaying Calvillo's inexperience. To me, I would I would probably play it up. The fact that she was she turned pro after this site came into existence. Like for the yeah. love of God, that was 
She's been a pro since August, late August last year. Now, she did have a pro fight scheduled in 2014. But, I mean, if she was so hurt that she couldn't compete for two years, two and a half years, like, I'm I'm just letting that one ride. And that is kind of impressive. But she's actually older than Carla Esparza, which is weird to think. What do you think happens to Cynthia Covilo? I'd say Esparza gets a pretty high-level fight. But, I mean, Tisha Torres is matched up already. Maybe who? Well, where do you see each one of these women perhaps going? Well, as far as is definitely going to get a big fight next. Um, I don't think it'll be Rose. Like I said, I think they're probably going to do that rematch. Uh, even though you know, I wouldn't mind seeing some fresh blood in there. We've seen Joanna so many times in title fights. It'd be well, nice. To they, they scheduled Torres already, and I thought yeah. if anybody got a title shot, it would have been Torres. Well, Torres got a decision. I mean, that's the thing. If, if Torres had gone out there and finished, uh, you know, water or uh, yeah, it was Water since she fought. Um, you know, I, I think that would be a different story. But I, I think you know, you kind of look at. Uh, you know, the fact that she's had a lot of decisions uh, in, in a couple of her fights, I think that's not as convincing as, as some other people. Um, you know, the matchup that sort of stands out to me right now, and she came off a pretty brutal loss. I know sometimes you don't like matching up fighters with wins and losses, but Claudia Gadea, that, that's, a, that's a fresh matchup for Carla at this point. Uh, you know, Claudia is back. Uh, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, she'd been, she went on a bit of a hiatus there. And uh, if you remember, uh, they were supposed to fight at Invicta FC4 way back in 2013. So, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to, to, to have that matchup actually take place. And, uh, you know, as far as Calvillo, um, you know, I'm just looking at the at the rankings here. I mean, maybe someone like Michelle Waterson would be interesting, you know, a bit of a name. Uh, you how know, is, she's How is Michelle Waterson ranked ahead of Felice Harry at this point? I, I don't who, Who's that's voting on these things? That, that, that's a podcast in itself. But, uh, yeah. you know, someone like uh, – I think someone that's, you know, going to be an interest, like, like Waterson, you know, brings it and is a bit of a notable name. How about Courtney Casey? I know Casey, you know, lost a fight to, to Harry. But, again, always brings it, always entertaining. I think uh, Calvillo is still going to get a good push from the UFC. And you mentioned her age. They got to give her big fights and just really ride this out and, and speed this up as fast as they can because, you know, uh, being at, at 30, I mean, she's probably in her prime right now. You got to take advantage of it. And she's definitely become sort of a fan favorite just with her fight style. And also, uh, you know, being a member of Team Alpha Male. Well, those strawweight rankings right now mean absolutely crap because who knows where Gedalia is going to fight next? She says 115. Yeah. Andrade is pro- probably moving to 125, I would imagine. Calderwood is. Paige Van Zandt's already scheduled. Like, so you're, you're getting like a third of that division moving up because I'll tell you this Lauren Murphy ain't going to be ranked number two at flyweight for very long. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's not going to stick around. But there's there's a lot of interesting fights. You know, Esparza, you, she's going to look up, or at least in the top ten, she ain't fighting Herrig. That's her buddy. So uh, maybe Kavalkovich or something like that would be a good one. Yeah. Uh, Neil Neil Magny defeated Carlos Condit. Uh, seemed like well, I don't know if you submitted your staff picks, but we were the only two that had Magny. To me, the burden of proof was on Carlos Condit at this point. Not Neil Magny. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I I do I, I have stat picks up for another set I do. I would love to put them in on Fightful. We we gotta get that up. Geez, what are you doing, buddy? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we gotta we gotta get this up for twenty eighteen. But but I did I did pick Magny and you know uh, part of it was just the fact that uh Magny uh you know he'd been a lot more active and uh you know I know he had cut, was coming off the loss to Rafael dos Anjos, but Magny's one of those guys that, that can surprise in fights and I th- thought this was a good situation, you know, Condit having the layoff, you know, potentially thinking about retirement. He has his business now, you know, there's a lot on his plate, and I just felt like we wouldn't see the Carlos Condit of old, and it turns out I was right. Um not to downplay anything Magny did. I see a lot of people talking about how this was, you know, Condit, not the same Condit, not the same Condit, the ghost of Carlos Condit. I get all that. Trust me. I mean, there's certainly a decline, uh, you know, from, from the Carlos Condit that we saw fight Robbie Lawler. 
But we got to give credit to Neil Magny in this. You know, he did a good job of neutralizing his attack. Uh, you know, he had a good game plan. It seemed like he really went in there and, and you know, just was, you know, stopping Condit from his onslaught. He was the he's the more aggressive fighter in this matchup. It wasn't a pretty fight, but, hey, Magny got the job done. And, you know, he's he's done quite well in the UFC. Uh, you know, I was just pointing this out today. You know, he's never lost back-to-back fights in the UFC uh, since he since he started one and two uh, when he started his UFC career. So he's, he's been on quite the run and, uh, you know, he's fought really tough guys. And I thought this was just a great performance for him, uh, you know, in the welterweight division. Yeah, that, that welterweight title, it's like it's the curse of of GSP, man. Like Robbie Lawler's still hanging in there, but Carlos Condit isn't what he once was. Johnny Hendricks isn't what he once was. Um, Tyron Woodley's doing fine, though. But uh, Carlos Condit and Neil Magny, like, I just I thought that, one, Carlos kind of had to overcome that reach, and that was going to be tough with the way that he fights because he likes to pop in and out. And Neil Magny has, like, a freakish reach. Also, I just didn't see how Carlos Condit could overcome the clinch either of Neil Magny, which is really good. And Neil Magny is among – and this isn't to say it disrespectfully – among the best gatekeepers in MMA history. Yeah. History. Because he's a guy that has wins over Condit, Hendricks, Lombard like Gastelum, he's going to let you know if you don't belong in that division or if you need to move or move around or something like that. And he's been beaten by guys like Dos Anjos, Larkin, Maya. Like, so his, his losses are pretty forgivable. So Neil Magny still getting it done. And he had that just amazing 2015 year and 2014 year where he just, it, it seemed like every weekend he was fighting. He fought like nine or 10 times during that period. So I was happy to see Neil Magny pick up a win and get back in the win column because Carlos Condit at this point, like I said, the burden of proof was on him. I needed to see where his skills were at. And everybody assuming that those skills were still where they once were, I was like, but but what has indicated that? Like we, we saw him get beaten very, very quickly by Damian Maya last year. And other than that, it's been two years since we've seen him fight, like outside of that fight. He's won twice since the Nick Diaz fight. Like, there's nothing to indicate to me that he would have defeated a guy at this point at the level of Neil Magny. You think he keeps fighting? Because, I I mean, after this performance, I would – I don't see why he wouldn't. It's not like he can't hang with a 10 to 15 or maybe below guy. Yeah, I, I think I think he'll get maybe one more in. Uh, probably, like, a notable fight, like some sort of, like, notable veteran uh, in there. You know, I, I don't know who sort of comes to mind at this point. But, um, you know, just, just give him one more – you sort of send off because I, I don't think anybody really wants him to, uh, you know, ride up in, into the sunset like this, uh, losing to Neil Magny the way he did. Uh, so I, I think he'll maybe fight one or two more times. But, you know, he's got that business. Uh, MMA Fighting did a great video, you know, talking about his coffee business and everything. So, I mean, it's interesting to see uh, that, that he has stuff outside of fighting at this point. But, uh, you know, I just, you know, it's the natural born killer, you know, former WC champ. I just, do you want to see him, you know, with that unanimous decision loss to Magny is riding off in the sunset? I would like to see one more fight where, you know, he can kind of show what he's made of and, you know, maybe not have such a long layoff. Well, I don't think he's going to retire anyway. I think Bellator would throw a bunch of money at him for that 170 division anyway. Or, you know, he could not cut weight and fight at 185 for for all we know. Uh, I mean, he he probably ain't beating Carvalho at this point. But but, uh, elsewhere on this show, Dan Hooker defeated Mark Jacasey. And Jacasey's thing is he's – such a quick, fast striker, but he wasn't able to to get there. And he went for a real lazy shot in the third round and got guillotined. Dan Hooker won. Perhaps the most entertaining thing is after a, a less than exhilarating fight, 
he gets on the mic and he says, I want to fight in Perth. Who wants to see me back in the cage? And everybody boos him. Yeah, it was shades of Paul Buentello post-fight uh, after yeah. one of his matchups. Uh, just, you know, didn't go Fear over. Fear the so consequences. Long. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, yeah, I did not, this, this was a really awful fight. I mean, thank God that they, uh, you know, that, that this ended in a, in a finish because uh, it was putting a lot of people to sleep. And this was supposed to be one of the fights of the night. I mean, I, I actually, you know, I interviewed DeCasey. I also interviewed Hooker as well. And, you know, just they were both excited and it seemed like this was the perfect scenario. And, and then, you know, Hooker gets the win as the underdog. It was pretty interesting. And then, uh, yeah, and that's that. Man, Mark Diacasey, what a disappointment this has been uh, in 2017. Here was a guy, what was he, 11-0, 12-0. And, you know, when he came into the UFC, he got that nice win. And then he loses to Dracar Close, and now he loses to Dan Hooker. Like, you know, 24 years old, and I know there's a lot of potential there, but uh, this is very disappointing for him, a guy that I know they were really high on when they signed him. Yeah, if I'm him, I uh, try to <laughs> – move over to the performance center, the performance Institute, see what I can get going there. Yeah. Um, elsewhere on this show, miles jury looked real good. He good. looked real, real good. And the thing is he's been around for a while. Like I remember at, in 2005 or 2012, when he, uh, he came into the UFC, I was like, wow, his game is right on point for this point in time. And since then the game has evolved quite a bit. And I won't say that his game has necessarily evolved, but he's taken his style and applied it to today, and he just looked really, really good in doing it. And he had a big, big layoff. Like, from December 2015 to April of this year, he's come back, and he has just looked very, very good. Yeah, we forget, uh, you know, how good of a fighter he is sometimes, just with the fact that you mentioned the layoff. But also, you know, he had that two-fight losing streak where he lost to Cerrone and then he lost to Charles Oliveira. And uh, I know he's switching camps and everything like that. And, and, you know, now he's back. He's in the featherweight division now. And uh, he's really sort of teared things up. And, you know, props to him for a really, uh, you know, dominant win over Rick Glenn, who Rick Glenn himself coming off a big win over Gavin Tucker. So, I mean, the, the fact that Jerry was able to go out there and, and make some magic. I mean, you know, this, here's a guy who's, you know, 17-2. and two, now and uh you know we can start talking about him as, as getting some more marquee fights here and, and he's still relatively young for the most part let me just look up his age here he's 29 not quite 30 yet so he's, he's getting there but you know that's uh that's not bad for a guy who uh you know just uh, i think a lot of people are kind of writing off after those two losses and he, he's done quite well for himself and uh you know he happens to look like james franco so maybe they could market him that way <laughs> mikhail alexacek looked very good that's a prospect 22 years old and a light heavyweight that is one of those divisions that skews way, way older. So him getting a win over Khalil Roundtree in such one-sided fashion, that's good. You had Marvin Vittori in a pretty fun fight against Omari Akhmadov. You uh, interviewed uh, Vittori, and good God. I guess it's no, not a surprise that Akhmadov has never been knocked out cold. He's been finished by TKO, but not by KO, because he was getting clipped. Uh, that's Those are a couple of fights that... that Stood out to me. Also, Luis Smoka. You think he's done in the UFC? Has to be. Has to be. I think he. Uh, Mike Bond had the tweet out tonight. I think he's the has the most losses in a row in flyweight history. I think four in a row now. It's unfortunate. I remember this guy headlining. You know the Ireland card. And, uh, you know, defeating Patty Houlihan and just what a, what a fall from grace since then. He's also got a win over Ben Wynn, too. But, uh, you know, four in a row. I know tough competition. I mean, you look at the, the guys he's fought in that stretch. Brandon Moreno, Ray Borg, Tim Elliott, and Matthias tonight, uh, Nicolau. Um, yeah, it's tough. So uh, I, I, think, I think he's probably going to get cut after this. 
it doesn't, you know, sometimes these, these are good situations for fighters like him. He's 26. You know, he can go to another, you know, people are saying Bellator, but to my knowledge, Bellator doesn't have flyweight fighters, right? So I would imagine you well, might. Well, I mean, you know how a lot of these guys do. They'll, they'll move over to a Bellator and they'll fight at Bantamweight. But if you're going to do that, right. I'm sure Ryzen would pay him a good chunk of money to fight uh, McCall or Horiguchi because they, they've got a few guys over there worth something. And, you know, th- there are fights out there for him because th- there are always people like, Somebody's going to look for a fight for Bogatinov somewhere. So, I mean, yeah. there are guys, and he, he has been, in, like, a name in that division. But ever since he made that comment about Sergio Pettis pulling out of that fight, he didn't endear himself to people. The, oh, he injured his vagina thing. Hasn't won a fight since then. Like, Brandon Moreno made his name off of Smoka. And then Ray Borg got a title shot off of Smoka. And then Tim Elliott rebounded from his championship fight off of Smoka. And now uh, – now, uh, Nikolaou beat him, and he's looking good. He's he's a winner two away from a title shot in that division. So I think Smoke is gone. I think, that, and and it's it's a shame because he turned his life around after having that battle uh, with alcoholism that he talked to you about in that interview. But that that's probably the story that stood out to me most. But even though this wasn't the most exciting of shows, there were a few little stories. There's the return of Miles Jury. There's Vittori and Akmadov had a good fight. Uh, a light heavyweight prospect, Smoka maybe gone. Also, Mark De La Rosa, even though he lost, he finally got, he got in the UFC. He and his wife Montana, who you both in, you've interviewed both of them as well, the first uh, husband and wife to compete in the UFC like at the same time. Yeah, and you know people were you know I, I saw a lot of people writing off Mark tonight and in that fight uh, you know with the performance he had you know he fought Tim Elliott a guy who's a lot more experienced and uh, you know a guy who's been around a lot longer and you know Dela Rosa was trying out for the Ultimate Fighter at featherweight and then he gets his call I mean that that's a tough call uh, to get a short notice fight I think Dela Rosa will be back uh, you know he's still relatively young he's a guy that uh, we should be keeping an eye on in the in the division but uh, you know Tim Elliott too had a lot of weight on his shoulders heading into this one of course with his coach uh, Robert Fallis passing and uh, you know him getting this win I'm sure is a big weight off his shoulders as well too so uh yeah kind of you know good to see elliot get the win but uh you know for for Della rosa i think uh you know there, there's, there's a bright future for him in the sport and uh you know tonight will be a good learning experience for him just his first loss too so that's that's kind of interesting as well a couple of notes from the press conference habib does not want corners throwing in a towel for fighters says that he would not want his corner to do that well that's not smart yeah uh <laughs> Habib uh, assesses Connor's chances. He says he has a chance with his boxing, maybe for a couple of minutes. He has to come back and defend his belt. And uh, he said that he did try to finish Barboza, but couldn't do it. Says that uh, if you want your dreams to come true, you have to take it. And says Michael Mike Tyson fighting or watching him fight was one of those. Uh, also, you watched him fight, James. How were you able to be in the crowd there pretending to be Dean Ambrose? And make it back in time for this podcast. Uh, I just I, I I can't tell you my secret because then if everyone knows, then they'll start doing it. But uh, let's just say I'm very efficient. We got plenty of those comments. Yes, Dean Ambrose was in the crowd with Renee Young, so that uh, that's a thing. Are they, are they together? I am so out of the loop with the rest. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. May perhaps one of the reasons why Renee sticks in WWE. I can't say that for certain. I've never talked to her about it, but. I know that there are a lot. There's a lot of interest in her from our, like news stations and sports stations around the country because she's just she's one of the best of all time already at her job in WWE. So, 
Yeah, I knew her when she worked at. She used to work at the same company I did at the Score way back yeah, in the day. So it's, uh, she's also from. She's Toronto. Uh, she's from Toronto. So it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Wow, that's uh, full circle right there. Because yes, I get told I look like Dean Ambrose, and and yes, <laughs> I, I agree with it. it. That or Ryan Bader, I'll take it. it. It's all good with me. That's true. That's true. Habib says that the weight cut wasn't an issue. Says it's more about uh, how hard he trains and getting injured. When he's healthy, he always makes weight. He says hopes to stay busy next year. Wants to fight April. Uh, or May, then in September, then in December. So uh, that's, the, you know, Habib, not shying away from anything, says that he'd like to fight in Russia, but they have to work hard in Russia. I promote UFC in Russia. They don't promote. And says that the I, UFC needs to work with him to promote in Russia. Well, the interesting thing about Russia that I've heard anyways from uh, from my good friend Karim Zidane is that he doesn't think that people want to fight in Russia, even though he's immensely popular over there. Uh, I think it's a money thing. I think he'll actually make more money in the States. That was sort of one of the issues. So if it does happen, you know, that'd be great. But uh, it just sounds like there's too much red tape. And like I said, Khabib might say that it's sort of in the public face of saying that he, you know, uh, wants to fight there. But I think, you know, money wise, it's better for him to fight in the States and, you know, be more of a marquee fight if he fights in like a Vegas as opposed to somewhere in Russia. Hey, guys, if this is your first time checking out this show, head over to Fightful.com. We have all your MMA, boxing, pro wrestling news. If you don't like one of the three, you can always filter them out. James has a bunch of exclusives for you. I always do. David Bixenspan, Brandon Howard, Chris Harrington, Carlos Toro. We have an awesome team. Uh, I counted it up over 200 interviews since we launched in the middle of last year. Like, that is insane across MMA, pro wrestling, and boxing. We've broken a bunch of stories. But one I'm wondering does the, is there like a new Will Smith movie called Bright on Netflix? Because if so, I didn't hear anything about it tonight at all on the broadcast. Oh my god, that was just that was too much. That you know, it's it's one thing for this uh, you know this, this card to maybe not play out the way people wanted it as far as some of the matchups, but that just made it that much worse. That that was that was too much. Like we have an option on our site where people advertisers like they can skin our site and have their product up there. This was that. Plus, like, a pop-up ad, plus, like, an autoplay ad, plus, like, an insert in the middle. This That was that was nuts. By the way, guys, uh, we also have a Tuesday podcast. It's the Holy Smokes MMA podcast. Showdown Joe will be back with me on Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern. We're dropping a lot of uh, great stuff on the wrestling side, on the MMA side, even though there's a little bit of a break. Uh, James has a ton of content that will be going up soon. He talked to Steve Miocic. He talked to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Those will be coming up soon. Curtis Blades, like all kinds of people. Also, James, you have that MMA industry podcast that drops every week where uh, you talk to people involved in the business. Let people know a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I love this project. It's uh, been a lot of fun. It's uh, like Sean said, the industry podcast where we talk to people about everything that goes on in the industry from journalists to managers. Uh, last week I had on Ed Cap, who's one of the top uh, PR guys in MMA as far as, you know, managing fighters and booking interviews and things like that. So really trying to get a different perspective out there. There's so many MMA podcasts out there uh, that are, that are you know, kind of waters down the market, except for Holy Smokes, of course, which is a very unique take on things. But, uh, you know, in general, it's just uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there. So I wanted to cover something that isn't covered too much. And that is the behind the scenes of uh, of, of the industry. And uh, yeah, I love doing it. And we're live every Thursday, usually around one o'clock Eastern. Sometimes the times change, but uh, we're we're always uh, I'm always trying to get different guests on and uh, give you guys some inside uh, look into what goes on in this industry. I was on the first episode, and it's funny because when James and I did one of our first podcasts together, I was like, "Man, I have this idea for this like wrestling podcast," and it was the same idea that you had for the MMA side. So of course, I was happy to. Uh, 
give the thumbs up on that as well. You all have to check that out. There are a lot of you who wonder how the inner workings of a lot of this this goes on. And James and I both do this full time, and it's a really good insight whether you're interested in getting involved in it or not. Uh, just the process that fighters go through, the process that managers, that writers, that uh, journalists go through, that just a lot of different things, agents. It's it's such a great, interesting take on things, and uh, that is up on our iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, our YouTube, all that good stuff. We got it. James, tell the people where they can follow you on social media before we go. Easiest way, Twitter, at Lynch on Sports. You can find all of my work there and, of course, everything on Fightful.com. Uh, Sean mentioned it there. We got Colby Covington uh, last week. We, I got talked to Stephen Wonderboy Thompson today. I talked to Stephen Miosic on Friday. Got a couple interviews lined up next week. We're going to uh, you know, drop those as, as soon as possible. And, uh, yeah, just uh, what a way to cap off 2017. It's been, a, it's been a great year. Been very happy to be part of Fightful. And, Sean, you don't know this, but it's actually my birthday today, so that's why I'm wearing the uh, Street Fighter. Holy crap! So there we go. I, 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 had come in, I, I had to come in style, so there we go. What, what's the age? Uh, 33. 33. Yeah. Hot dog. Happy birthday to James Lynch. Wouldn't, wouldn't be anywhere else right now than talking fights with you on my birthday. It's a so. celebration. Yeah. My God. Happy birthday to James Lynch. Megan Anderson just called out Chris Cyborg on Twitter. Follow me at Sean Rostat. Follow us at Fightful Online. We got an Instagram. We're always updating it every day, especially for you wrestling fans. I uh, am having one of my exclusive photos posted that I've taken. I've done a lot of photography too, like, when you're in this line of work, you got to be able to do a little bit of everything. So those are getting up there, like stuff that you may have seen all over the web. But you might not have known it came from me. Hot, hot diggity darn. James Lynch's birthday. Everybody wish him a happy birthday. Leave us a thumbs up. Subscribe. All that good stuff. Until next time, guys, we are out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.